Sausage Podcast. I'm Alan. I'm Joe. And uh, we have some interesting things for you. We run a small post-production boutique in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is uh, within the uh, the realm of the Amish, uh, <laughs> but also uh, a lot of industry. And it's been a really interesting time over the past couple of years developing our business and uh, working on some interesting post-production projects and uh, full production projects here in Lancaster. Yeah, the Amish surprisingly uh, sophisticated in their, in their productions. <laughs> They don't really market too much. They just watch them in barns. But um, so uh, this is, I guess, this is our second stab at this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our, our second step into the podcast world. Fair to say, we haven't had it. We we hadn't had enough. Uh, what do you call uh, social lubrication, lubrication as it were, uh, <laughs> on the on the first one? And um, I do come from a radio background, but I'm quite rusty. And uh, we just kind of want it to be as natural as possible. Yes. And it was very, very important that we had a little bit of loosening done mm-hmm. before we started this first one. We try to encourage a certain looseness and, and fun atmosphere in here in the studio. And it just wasn't coming across. So we just want to make sure that you get an accurate representation of, of who we are. And strangely enough, that doesn't usually involve alcohol. But <laughs> <laughs> when microphones are involved, sometimes it does. Some of the things that we'll be talking about on the Postage Podcast now and in the future are... The actual process of developing media for a broadcast. We're also going to talk about dealing with clients and um, developing new business strategies and how to communicate uh, those, sh- how to communicate and stay consistent with those strategies with your clients. Um, I think that we have an interesting perspective being a very young post-production company coming from various backgrounds and trying to work together. We hope to kind of share that and sort of document it along the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, um, the whole struggle of trying to keep your integrity while working on these projects that sometimes you're not really that into, you know, it's, it's just part of the job. And uh, you have to find that little nugget. Of every, every job has its nugget of creativity that you just have to find it and pull it out. We're going to talk a lot about technology as we try to employ new technology mm-hmm. uh, as it's seen. Uh, as it affects us. And as, it affects and as it's seen fit in our budget um, yeah. and, and our growth as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, what sort of things are going to make our, our workflow happen? And I think workflow is going to be a big topic of this. And uh, we, hope, we hope that that uh, helps you with your uh, developing or already developed business. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the main point is we, we want to kind of lift the veil of... Um, of what it is to be a, a small boutique. Just bring you in, uh, tell you about our day-to-day experiences, our trials and tribulations, and um, just give you a better look and understanding of what it is that we do and how it might better you as in your, in your endeavors. A general definition of post-production as I see it is uh, using a number of tools to develop a a visual product that's aesthetic and clear and sends a, sends an important message. Um, we have stepped away in the past uh, year or so, uh, eventually from production, which would be shooting and everything that happens before it gets to the edit desk, and are trying uh, to do more of the uh, animation, compositing, mm-hmm. uh, and whatnot. Um, hopefully, <clears throat> if you found us, that's what you're into too, or you're curious about it. Um, some of our tool set involves some 3D software. Uh, we enjoy uh, Luxology's Moto and look mm-hmm. forward to their 401 release coming yeah. soon. Yeah, we're heavy users of uh, Adobe After Effects. Absolutely. And the Final Af- Cut Pro. 
Yeah, and I'll say After Effects is is pretty much our our. It's um, our staple. It's our go-to program. Mm-hmm. It's really the thing um, as far as compositing images mm-hmm. together, uh, animations together, making things happen, um, bringing 3D, 2D, and 2.5D together. All together, yep. Um, I think that we use Final Cut Pro for the razor tool and the arrow tool, essentially. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It ha- does have some flexibility. and If you don't want to re-render something um, for three hours, if you want to just do a real yeah. quick uh, change in, in Final Cut, that's cool. But, but I guess it's got, I mean, it's a fantastic tool, absolutely. no doubt. And, and to make a movie, which is something that we also do, but but I'd say more rarely right. work on, uh, you know, it is it is really, I've worked on Avid and I've worked on a lot of other editing systems, Premiere and whatnot. Um, and I would say that Final Cut mm-hmm. has really brought it to a, a simplicity and an ease. It's fantastic. And just to kind of give you a little idea of where <clears throat> we're coming from here, um, just a a brief, brief background. I come from an artistic background. Um, I was trained as a graphic designer and illustrator. I came to uh, visual effects just just out of a sheer joy of it. If my, I would I would describe my career as some sort of a, a multiple personality disorder, <laughs> in that you know I've yes. probably I've done everything from real estate appraisal to uh, to video production. But I started in video production in about 1997 at a television station. Got my broadcast in there. Moved, uh, worked a little bit on 3D there, worked on the offline Avid and whatnot. Uh, moved into commercial production about a year after that in 98. Uh, worked at a couple of video production companies, uh, doing editing, uh, some picture moves and whatnot for some documentaries, a couple of national spots, uh, even doing some network administration during that time. So, you know, I, I think that I'm definitely enamored by the technology mm-hmm. of the field and, you know, try to employ that as much as possible. And then Joe talks me down and tells <laughs> me, um, you know, we can't afford that software package or that hard drive array, <laughs> uh, which is important. For the record, I don't <laughs> like being that guy, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's better that than to not eat the and, next week. And I think that's another thing that we're going to talk about a lot is what, you know, what benefits the production team, mm-hmm. um, what sort of personalities are required, because there are really... Yeah. It has to be a particular mix, and it has to be something that's done uh, carefully and specially, and has a lot of different um, input on it. Because you know, I feel like the strongest artists, the strongest business people, are just that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how we work. Well, just uh, just to give you an example, I mean, I uh, just finished a project. Uh, we just finished working on a project here in house, and we we shipped it out. And it was something that I wasn't I wasn't crazy about doing, you know. I was sitting up on my my little my little artist pedestal, and um, you know I just didn't want to do it, and I was just being a prima donna essentially. And and Alan just kind of grounded me, and you know you need that type of thing. You need someone to to bring you down every now and then, and remind you that hey, it's a job, you know. It's not just this lofty this lofty ideal that you're working towards. You have to get paid, and you have to make a living. And that's all there is to it at the end of the day. Absolutely. And the, and the vice versa has happened. And I think that the most important thing is just like we want to be honest with you as uh, podcasters, uh, as broadcasters, I should say, <laughs> um, you know, we have to, you have to be honest with each other. And a lot of times, I mean, more and more you're seeing these, these very small um, post-production boutique, boutiques. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look in New York, Philadelphia, of course, California, obviously, yeah. um, and many other cities, you're seeing more and more. Um, a couple of kids, they wear their suit coats and their t-shirts, and they're, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like right. you know, and and they're the best, and and they're really good. And what they lack in, um, 
60 years of experience. Right. You know, they make up for it in ingenuity and creativity. Absolutely. So our story is one of our failures and our successes, and that's what we want to share with you. We're not going to go into the details because very early in the development stages, but Alan and I uh, have begun pre- pre-production on an animated um, sitcom, essentially, that... Uh, We'll be sharing. We'll be sharing the the process as it goes along with you, and um, we're taking it from uh, from just an idea to a script to the actual animation, and ultimately towards uh, pitching it to larger networks. It's safe to call it a cartoon, by the way. Yeah, I know, but that's <laughs> I know. back to the whole lofty uh, being a lofty artist. Yeah. Uh, I feel like in America, cartoons have a negative connotation, so sure. I always refer to my work as animation. They're also referred to as such in such a way that a cartoon is for children. Yes, and, and that's my biggest problem with it. Yeah. But, you know, don't get caught up in my semantics. If you want to okay. call it a cartoon, call it a cartoon. I mean, that's the kind of thing. Maybe somebody doesn't know these, ling- these lingos. So, um, you know, Joseph being versed in animation, um, me coming up with the original concept, but willing to, to share that as a, a project for our, for our group, we... We want to work on several paid projects, and then we also want to uh, work on something that is a little more of our own intellectual property, mm-hmm. something that could potentially go bigger and uh, something that we're passionate about, something to to get us through those boring projects that we all get. That we have a project, a story, and characters that we're working on with some fantastic individuals Absolutely. from our area, um, and I'll mention Jason Burlett. Uh, Parker Lindstrom and Damian Eby, um, as well as uh, Jeff McComsey and, and Dominic, Dominic Vivona. Yeah. Um, really cool. Uh, they come from varying backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jason Burlett uh, graduated from Second City a couple of years ago and moved back to Lancaster, so he's in Chicago. Um, fantastic uh, comedic mind. Also an artist, which yeah. is just unbelievable. Perfect for what... <laughs> well, that's why we contacted him. Yeah. You know, we need that sort of thing. And so he's back around trying to find his way, and we hope that this might be a cool project for him to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominic and Jeff working on us, working with us on several yeah. of Yeah, we just projects. wrapped up a, a, a project with one of Jeff's IPs, American Terror, which I encourage you to, to go and check out at um, thefictory.com slash American Terror. Um, but... Yeah, very competent artists. They come from an illustration background. They do sequential art, which in uh, you know, again, that's uh, that's comic books. So, and not to patronize anyone, but uh, just in case you were wondering, IP would be intellectual property. Yes, and we're just referring to that, um, I guess, just from a legal standpoint. Yeah. But you'll hear us talking about it quite a bit. Refers to an idea that is owned by somebody, mm-hmm. and um, those things have as much value as the actual work that you do. So, absolutely. Um, so anyway, this project, uh, which we'll just refer to as Circus for okay, now. fair enough. We just had our first um, Circus Summit, I'll call it. Sure. <laughs> um, Alan had this idea a while ago, about a year or two, something like that. Um, he, came, he approached me about it maybe six months ago, and we've been kicking it around. It's just sort of like a lunch conversation. Yeah, some yeah. Sort. You know, and <clears throat> my, my whole thing is if an idea is not good – if if it's something that you forget about immediately. So Alan brought this up a while ago and as I've known him and as and as I've worked with him, you know, in the back of my mind this whole this circus thing kept coming back and 
And it's gotten to the point now where it's starting to be a part of my day. I think about it when I'm washing my hands, you know, when I'm walking down the street. Oh, you know, I see something that might be cool in circus. So that's a good idea. A sticky one. Yes, absolutely. It's got to be like that's one of my criteria for working on a project. But um, we have a general strategy with this. And mm -hmm. the first part of that was to get uh, a whole bunch of really creative minds together Mm -hmm. to kind of powwow on this. Um, What we're going to try to do, and this might be a really interesting part of the podcast, Mm -hmm. depending on how it goes. Even again, even if it's a failure. Right. I don't think anything that we do with this will be a failure. And chances are, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> this will be a failure, but we're right. keeping our fingers crossed. In some way, we'll in some way we'll turn it into a success. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. At the but, ver- at the very least, you'll all be able to watch it yeah. when it's finished, so you'll know what we're talking about. But I, and that's that's what we want to get across. That's what we want to share with people. So first, we got a group of intelligent, funny people together. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing that we'll do is we'll create a pilot episode of about twenty minutes of this uh, animated sitcom or cartoon idea that we have. Um, the last thing that we'll do once we have all that together is create collateral material, mm-hmm. present this sort of thing yes. to uh, networks. Sure. Anyone interested in buying properties? Sure. So there may be. I mean, there may be a lot. Of, there may be a lot of negotiation. There may be a lot of sure. options in that. Um, what we've discussed with the people helping us is that we want them to be a part of it. We want them to receive mm-hmm. a part of it, no matter what happens. Um, so it should be very interesting. And since we can't talk much about it, we won't bore you anymore right. with that. But we'll move on to our next topic, which will be technology. <laughs> Well, the first thing you know, I wanted to mention is that we had a, a friend of ours uh, who's a who's in the big, me- in the media business. Yeah, big, a big player. We won't mention any names. <laughs> yeah, no, he does a lot of work. Um, and he recently had a hard drive crash. Mm-hmm. So he's been researching, um, basically how to make this not happen again. Mm-hmm. And sort of kind of obsessing about it a little bit. And we, and we love him very much so. So if he's listening, you know, we love you. And, 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 we, just, and when we say hard drive crash, we mean know. like hard drive apocalypse. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And that's a big deal. I mean, your storage space uh, for speed and for reliability is like honestly more important than what editing software you're using, what animation software you're using, what yeah. sort of workflow you have. I mean – is it safe? Is it there? Is it there when you need it? So our friend in the media business, and we'll just call him Steve. Okay. Um, Steve had several of his uh, drives or several of his uh, his volumes there crash, and he's looking. He's just researching. He's just like thrusting out there for like the answer, like the ultimate answer. And he found solid state mm-hmm. uh, drives, which I've I've looked over thoroughly since with him. And I'm kind of trying to help him out a little bit. I mean, on one hand, I definitely, I would love to find the Holy Grail, you know? We, Alan and I are in about in our 25 to 30, uh, 30 years of age. Um, and Steve comes from uh, a, like one generation before us. A little more classic. In yeah, his yeah, media right, right. Acquisition, bef- and, right, and right before the technological boom hit, and technology was everything. So, um, that's probably the only reason this happened sure. because it wasn't ingrained to him uh, about backing up. So when he talks to us, he's like, you know, oh, I did all this research, and there's these solid state drives, and and he sent me the papers for him, the white papers essentially, and I'm like looking over, and I'm like, dude, a hundred thousand times a block can be erased, and it will eventually cause block failure Mm -hmm. like and it's like you know and it just seems like a huge number but it's no bigger than a regular hard drive 
you know so mm-hmm. and the speed differential is is so much so it's not there yet and sure maybe and, and Steve told me you know and it's like, more expensive absolutely he said you know NASA and whatnot is using technology like this and I understand that but I mean you know the sort of things that our government employs <laughs> Steve was talking about this is what the CIA and FBI are using okay these solid state drives now on one hand they're certainly not as fast as like a fiber channel array a SCSI raid or something like that. And, you know, here they are employing this technology. Well, they don't need to edit, you know, eight (laughs) channels of video at the same time um, and, you know, 20 channels of audio. So um, not there yet. Now, that being said, Steve's media isn't exactly video editing. It's more of a digital imaging sort of thing. So the speed may be okay for him. But, again, you know, we're talking about is this drive going to fail? The only answer, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna step up on my pedestal and say this: you just have to back up. You can't trust a hard drive. Back up, back up. You can't trust a hard drive. I mean, there's a lot of great drives out there: speed, mm-hmm. efficiency, you know, quote life, running right. life, running hours. Um, Joe and I um, have have our own systems. Yes. We have our own computer systems. We're not on a shared drive yet. Yet. Speaking of which, promise if you care to send us a multi <laughs> multi hard drive fiber channel array block and and some uh some uh some cards and We'd some be cable. Happy to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. We'll at talk length. about it at length. <laughs> that's one of our next upgrades, so we'll talk about that a little more later. But um that's more for efficiency in the pipeline. The question of reliability is only answered with backing up. Mm -hmm. Personally, I have a uh, one of the G Raid. Mm -hmm. It's FireWire 800. It's not quite as fast as the East SATA that I prefer to edit off of currently, Um, but it's great. I I do a time machine backup. It's the simplest Mm -hmm. thing. Most of us are on a Mac platform. I think you can appreciate that, but there are equivalents for PC as well. Oh yeah. In fact, most. Most hard drives these days are shipped with software for the PC that will act essentially as a time machine. It'll back up for you automatically. You just have to set it up. I did not know that. Yes. Joe, tell us about your backup procedures. Well, um, you know, uh, unlike Alan, I, I again, I come from a background that's more, uh, more just generally art. And um, so with animation, which is what I specialize in, I have to do a lot of drawings. I don't have the storage concerns quite yet that that Alan has. So I'm actually able to get away with just using uh, USB hard drives. They're external. Um, I carry one. I carry one with me at all times so that I always have a copy of all of my files. Uh, I'm back. Of course, you know, it doesn't count on your computer. That's not a backup. But I have the files I'm using on my computer. I have a backup on that external drive that I'm talking about. I also have a stationary drive at the office that is always backed up. And then uh, once a month, I back up to disk. So at any given time, I've got four versions of everything that I've ever done. So if in, in, in the case of a cataclysmic crash, um, I'm, I'm still okay. My clients are still okay. And, and it's not just about protecting me. It's about protecting my clients. Absolutely. Another thing I would love to stress and just talk about is, um, I guess not much more talk needs to be made about it, but just mm-hmm. backing up and having an offsite backup of some sort, mm-hmm. um, even if it's just old projects. Because you know what? No matter how little the project, at one point, at some point, someone is going to come back to you and tell you, I want to edit this project in such an intricate way. Right. You got to have some file backups. So when right. I make a DVD backup, I make one copy and bring it home with me. I think that's a great, a great idea in general. Right. 
and yeah. and it's do it cheap. Absolutely. Anyone can do it. We've all got burners, people. So <laughs> so back up your files. Do it do it as often as possible. So real quick, the procedure that I do, um, since I do have, like Joe said, these you know hard drive intensive, these memory intensive mm-hmm. projects. I go through. I keep all my animations. Like I keep my final renders for all my animations, which are just elements of the Final Cut project. I delete all of my video files on my capture scratch. If you're familiar with using Final Cut, you'll know what that means. Um, because I can redigitize those at any time. As long as I keep my tapes safe and at a pretty decent temperature, I should mm-hmm. be able to get to them for about another five or six years, which to me is the expiration date of a project. Yeah. Um, and even after that, I think that there is something that can be got, but you might start to see some tape degradation, uh, especially if you purchased your tapes at the retail store <laughs> other than online. Um, real quick note, I recommend the Panasonic uh, PQ series, uh, which is pretty good. Um as far as uh, shooting and mastering goes, uh, if you're still using standard definition. Basically, I want to delete any duplicates. I want to delete any bunk renders. I want to delete anything that wasn't approved by the client um, because I can always re-render those again if that's necessary. I want to save my project files. I want to save any images associated with mm-hmm. the file. And I try to essentially get you know two or three projects, which these are 30-second commercials, onto one DVD. Mm-hmm. And uh, I then make sure I log those in a text file Mac has graced us with the searchlight utility in which you can, or this, um, is that what it's referred? Yeah, it's called the spotlight actually, in which you can um, actually even search through text files. So I just have one called DVD backup. I make sure the contents are on there with the name of it, and I can search for any project. Uh, just a quick sidetrack. Um, I thought it was interesting the way you said Mac has graced us with the searchlight. Alan and I have both. We've used both PC and Mac platforms. We're not just these, you know, we're not part of the the Mac flock who just blindly follows whatever and they do. And from a business perspective, I mean, I should add that we we don't want to mess with things like viruses. Right. Um, knock on wood, because there are Mac viruses out there. Well, right. And as, and as the market share grows, absolutely. You know, so there's a that. larger risk of that. But because of a semi-closed architecture that Mac has, and it's opening up a lot, mm-hmm. Um you really have to deal with a lot less of that. It's so important because, I mean, if I think of the time that I spent when I was a network administrator for a PC firm, just working on compatibility issues, mm-hmm. working on uh, virus issues, working on uh, spyware and um, data miner right. utilities, um, I, as a small business owner, and we're essentially a partnership, I don't have time for that. Exactly. The other thing I should note is that I really didn't adopt Mac until it was Unix based and all PC parts. So, you know, <laughs> so at your at, trying at to your prove core, that I'm, yeah, I'm your... trying to prove that I'm not evangelical, <laughs> one of those like right. crazy, sure, crazy Mac addicts. But I do really love the platform and the yeah. system. I just wanted to put that out there. I'd like to talk to everyone about a little pet project of mine called American Terror colon Company Man. Now, uh, I was approached by a, a, an associate of mine who who's a constant collaborator. He he's 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 an illustrator. He's um, he's helped me with a lot of my animation work in the past. Several projects now. Uh, a guy named Jeff McComsey, who has a book published through Alterna Comics called American Terror Confessions of a Human Smart Bomb, which I encourage you to read. It is a fantastic read. It's written for an adult audience and it's just very enjoyable. We just wrapped up production on an animated short film 
It's a, it's a five minute piece that we're sending to several different film festivals. Uh, so once we finish the way I work in the Victory, which is my um, which is my personal side project, the way I work is I develop things I'm passionate about, and I take them uh, from from the germination of the idea all the way through to completion, from from pre to po- uh, to production to post production. And then I take them onto the festival circuit, which is uh, I'm in a phase right now of the project that I call festival season, which isn't actually a season of any kind. It's just the year after I finish a project where I'm promoting it and I'm trying to get it out there. And, but just into the, the social conscious. Does okay? it correspond with deer hunting season? Yes. Just checking. But no. <laughs> it's when I'm finished from the point I'm finished to uh, till about a year after that and I'm just pushing it I'm trying to get it into local film festivals I'm trying to get it to and you've done a couple other projects that have been in film festivals yes correct? yes I have you can see all of my films at uh, thefictory.com and uh, if you want to see some of my more recent stuff that I've done with Alan you can uh, check out postagevfx.com there you go um, and you'll see, you'll be able, yeah, that pro, that site is still in development, but you'll be able to see our most recent demo reel. And, you know, back to American Terror. Um, as Alan said, this is, this I've done this before, but I really feel like after we completed American Terror that we had a product that was, um, for a small studio, it was, it's, it's a hell of an accomplishment, you know. Um, I feel really good about it. I, when I watch it personally as, a, as the creator, you know, I see, of course, I see all the, uh, all the problems with it, all the glaring issues. But um, when I try and remove myself and watch it, I, I really feel like it is strong. So I've uh, I've already submitted it into four different festivals now, two of which it's been accepted in. We so often have these projects that we don't feel passionate about, but it's important to have something that reminds you why you're in it. I'd also like to mention another <clears throat> possibility there, and that is... Uh very very much uh sort of uh, illustrated in the chameleon documentary that I've been on for a couple of years mm-hmm. uh not that it's something that we're not passionate about but I think that <clears throat> I think that on one hand we've created it to be something bigger than we can actually handle in yes. a short amount of time <laughs> and not to say that a film shouldn't take a couple of years again we're going to be talking a lot about workflow on this show not from a we've been doing this for 50 years sort of perspective, but from a... We're going as... We're learning as we go. We're learning as we go about workflow. Yeah. I mean, people are people are tight as far as their information. And workflow is the biggest, uh, I would say, intangible asset that mm-hmm. a video production business has. Um, and no one talks about it. It's an, it's, it's intellectual property, to it use really that word is. again. Yeah, it really is. Um, the Chameleon documentary is something I started a couple of years ago. I even made a trailer for it that said it was coming in spring 2007. Here we are in 2009, <laughs> and it's not done, but it will get done. It'll be done this year. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I met uh, just last week with uh, someone who had a light table, huge light table full of negatives that we need to scan in. So, I mean, uh, one of the things about documentary films is that you just need as yes, much as much relevant uh, material as much relevant images. Yeah, you'll end up throwing away seventy percent of that, but sure to have it. That's what. That's what's what's, what's on what's in your toolbox? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's another thing that we hope to put in film festivals as well. American Terror at the Victory 
dot com slash American Terror, mm-hmm. spelled like it sounds. Yep. <laughs> One and word. Uh, yeah, should be Philadelphia Film uh, Festival of Independence has been uh, accepted into that particular film festival. Also into the our local festival, the Rum Spring Film Festival. Oh yeah, like I'd spell it for you, but I don't have it in front of me. <laughs> uh, and we've uh, tentatively agreed. Uh, I think I'm going to be the MC for that film festival. Mm-hmm. So that should be pretty fun too. Right. It's a cool honor. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, it feels good to do something for the community. Uh, that particular film festival. Um, do we have the website for that? You know what? Let me just go pull it up real quick. While just looking it up, it's uh, it's last year was its uh, inaugural session. And um, it had, uh, it was featuring, it was called the Really Short Film Festival as well, uh, featuring five minutes or less uh, short films that people had produced. I think the idea was just to get local content in yes. to it. Uh, it's been the time limit has been extended to ten minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. The price is a little bit up there, um, on average. Yeah, the the average fest is about thirty yeah, thirty five bucks. Yeah, um, this one's what forty five about forty. Forty yeah, might actually be forty-five, but you have the ability to win like a thousand bucks. Right. Or something. Well, here you go. Well, you can find all this stuff yourself at rumspring.com, which is r u m s c h p r i n g dot com. Check it out. Are they accepting outer Lancaster entries? Um, it's actually opened up for anyone, okay, international if they want to. But uh, it's been has it been closed this season? Yeah, I believe it's closed this season. But um, it's an annual an thing, so sure. So keep keep your eyes open. It should be kind of neat. It's it's kind of one of the new ones. We like to keep our eyes on that. And here at Postage, uh, we completely endorse uh, the art of filmmaking and are really proud to have something in our own hometown that encourages yeah. uh, people who, who have a passion for that, be they professional, incredibly experienced or educated. Right. If they have a passion that they can express that is, is the best thing ever. My golden rule for starting a project is finding the absolute best people I can for the project, surrounding myself with people who are as talented or as more talented than I am. Would you say it's kind of the jogging partner phenomenon as well? Absolutely. You're pushed by their excitement and enthusiasm and talent to do better. Sometimes we get so lost and, and that we just stop doing. Um, you know, we want to shelve something. Right. Um, but and And... and Totally understood. You have to juggle those things with the paying gigs, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but you know, you got to find time to move a project forward Absolutely. if you love it. Agreed. The last thing that I wanted to talk about today is just kind of a something that we've been listening to a lot of podcasts on. I'd like to shout out to CreativeCal.net, sure. um, who does a magazine. They do several podcasts, um, training as well as uh, just business podcasts. I, rec- I highly recommend the business podcast. They haven't yeah. been doing too many of them, but the ones they have done extremely valuable. Yeah. Well, we've and and one of the things that is always talked about. So we're kind of regurgitating information, but we're actually we're just giving a big thumbs up and a big approval to is that <clears throat> you have you have to have a goal in mind for your video production business. What's your market? Uh, what's your your budget um, spread? You know, who who what kind of people are you going to be working with? And I think that it's really a lifespan of a video production business to go from doing lots of inexpensive jobs to fewer higher paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately important. And, and the importance there is that you're able to uh, employ the technology you want. You're able to uh, do the creative things that you want by working with clients with bigger budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you try to do that at first. You try to say, I have the capability to do this really right. creative thing. Um, but what happens is they want even more. Right. And uh, I had done commercials for $800 that should have been $8,000, $10,000 projects that just blow my mind. I mean, just thinking about it makes me want to cry. Yeah, but this is just part of the, it is the part growing of it. pains. Of, it is part of it. You yeah. do need to get what you're worth. And I've written articles for um, various uh, circulars and whatnot, uh, namely the uh, Creative House of Lancaster. I did a, a segment called The Anti-Static about animation and motion graphics uh, uh, for part of an art scene. And uh, getting what you're worth is uber important because otherwise uh, you're going to be burnt out. Mm-hmm. You're going to be absolutely burnt out. So one of our things is uh, dealing with the clients we have, but I think the uh, I think the easy solution, just like backing up um, your hard drive, is a solution for a hard drive failure. I know it's 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 extremely pessimistic, <laughs> and I'm sorry about this because I want to be um, you know very agreeable and say that there are people that really appreciate, and they may appreciate it, but. They don't really appreciate it deep down. Something subliminal. It's well, not part of the problem is that they don't. They have no idea what 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 we do means, what it entails. Um, sure. And I think there's a huge misconception is between what is done, like maybe on YouTube or something like that, mm-hmm. and what is broadcast quality. I mean, you know, there are definitely some creative, passionate individuals out there that can do some wonderful things with a DV camera mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, to actually see something from start to fruition as far as that, that is broadcast quality that will actually uh, inspire your customer. Right. Uh, be that just somebody who uh, needs to be sold on a certain political ideal uh, or be it someone that needs to actually purchase a retail product. Uh, that sort of thing requires thought. It requires tools. It requires uh, expertise. It requires creativity. My point is charge for all of those things. Yes, absolutely. Um, consider what your time is worth. Consider what your time with your loved ones are worth. Um, another thing that we've, that we would really like to cover on this podcast, we're going to say a lot of this because it's our first one is our relationships with our significant others. Um, the people we love, our friends, when do we see them? When do we not see them? Because we've been working on something all night. Mm -hmm. Um, you'll hear about that in future episodes, um, but that needs to be taken in consideration when you write that invoice or actually before that, when you write that proposal, Yeah, you know, and, uh, you have to, you have to develop techniques and you have to engage yourself in techniques that explain what you're worth one of the, from the beginning. One of the hardest things, um, for, for me, especially cause I, I'm newer at this than, than Alan is, um, I've, it, it's it's hard to communicate at first what it is that your time is worth. It's hard to say why it's worth what it is and um, express it in a way that's not alienating towards the client um, and makes them feel that you're both winners in this situation. But um, at, when, you're new, when you're young and new and unproven, um, it, it's hard. It's hard to ta- tell, ask a client to take a leap of faith on you when when you are an unproven commodity. Well, sure, I've had clients, you know, uh, deny uh, offers for free commercials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mean, and like that feels like a slap in the face, but it's sure. not. You, you can't take that personally, right? I mean, because it's an investment from the, from their perspective as well. Um, another thing with that proposal that I'm talking about is illustrating what you're going to do to the client because it works both ways. First of all, um, you could 
you know, want to do something fantastic that is totally worth the price you're asking. Sure. Um, that would be totally worth it for the client because it would co- totally sell their product. Second of all, your client could have no idea how to work with a video production company mm-hmm. and think they're getting a full-on HD production that that's comparable to something that they would see on television right. when they're really paying a minimum of a price. You have to communicate what the product is that they're going to get. And there's nothing wrong with giving someone lesser than your best product if that's what they're paying for. Yes. That's something that's hard to come to terms with, but really for us, because yeah. I think for a long time, I mean, doing our best is doing our best is something that's ingrained in a lot of us. But what we have to learn is you have to have several levels yeah. of, uh, of and don't get us wrong. I don't think we've ever let anything out the door mm-hmm. that wouldn't be considered a quality product. It's just you well, have Well, I can to- think of a couple of flubs. <laughs> Um, at least for Alan and myself, our, our dedication to our craft is, is what drives us. And, uh, we always want to put out the best we can. It's just tailoring your urge to, per, to perform and enhance a product, uh, compared to what's been provided for compensation for yourself. Next time on the Postage Podcast, uh, we're going to talk about getting your money from your clients after you build them because it's a really tough economic time. We're also going to talk about new compositing technology. Such as Nuke. Nuke software by the Foundry. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we saw recently when we toured a fantastic production facility in Philadelphia. We're also going to talk about lens adapters, the benefits, as well as where those things fall short uh, in your production schedule. And our continuing adventures into the realm of circus. You've been listening to The Postage Podcast. The Postage Podcast states opinions based on isolated trials of varying lengths and depths. For more detailed review of the content, questions, or more information, email podcast at postagevfx.com. That's podcast at postagevfx.com. The opinions of your host are not necessarily the opinions of Postage Incorporated. We hope you enjoyed our broadcast and have a great week.